This is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is part six in the series, The True and False Self, Filled with All the Fullness of God. Knowing who you are and who you aren't has a lot to do with where you've been. In order to be released into all the fullness of God, we have to deal with our pasts. A man was walking along on a dusty red and narrow road. On his journey, he came to pass through a village. He saw a strange sight, one that made him stop and gawk. He saw a herd of magnificent elephants. It was an odd sight to see them all so close together until he realized they were each held captive by a small string attached to a single post. Knowing full well that the size and strength of any one of the creatures could easily break the rope, or knock over the post. The man asked a stranger nearby, how is it possible these gigantic creatures are content with captivity? How have they not walked away? How are they not free? The man replied, well, at a young age, the same size rope is attached to the same leg. While they are small, they're not strong enough to break the rope. After many failed attempts at freedom in their early years, They quit trying altogether. This mindset is thought to be carried on throughout the elephant's life, and they remain captives, even though at any point they could do the work it takes to walk towards freedom, which in this case simply means taking that step of faith towards something different than they've ever known. This story is called The Elephant's Mindset. I didn't make it up. It's all over the internet, and it's often used in the business world and motivational conventions. At Van City Church, we are neither of those things, but a group of imperfect people trying to follow the way of Jesus together, committed to being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and in turn doing the things that Jesus does. We are in the middle of a series called The True and False Self, filled with all the fullness of God. And tonight, I have the honor of touching on the work of healing. Woo, we love that. (laughs) by dealing with your past. And that's where I lose all of you. (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. Great first topic. I felt the need to put a joke in there because as I mentioned, dealing with our past, I'm sure half of you felt like the air suddenly was sucked out of your lungs. Well, while you're catching your breath. (laughs) Let's open our Bibles to Philippians, starting in chapter 2. Over the last few weeks, the teaching team has been bringing to light our true self, beloved sons and daughters of God, unearned, freely given, continual love from our good Father, and the false self, also known as the flesh, or the imposter that is alive and well in all of us. Also, we can bring to light spaces in our beings that might still be hiding in the dark so we can learn to experience and embrace the fullness of God's love in our lives. So we've talked about the sneaky false self, how it's really hard to recognize. We've touched on exploring our unity with Christ, and tonight we're going to dive a little bit deeper. We're going to touch on exploring who we are today because of where we've been in the past. Now, this isn't the first time we've touched on this topic. In fact, we did a whole series specifically on dealing with your past in early 2017. It's all on our website and podcast if you're interested in taking a listen. But in the context of this series, it's my belief that in order to shift 
from a head knowledge of God's faithful love to an intrinsic and identity level love for his beloveds, we need to have an honest reflection of where we've been. A rear view mirror, so to say, of the road that we've walked, the hurt that we've caused ourselves and others, and the hurt that has been done to us. As wide as the spectrum of hurt that may vary in this room, one thing I believe to be true, dealing with our past is essential in order to experience the fullness of God's love in our lives. If we are already hitting a tender nerve, all I ask is you just keep an open mind and an open heart to what the Spirit might want to share with you tonight. Let's dive in. Philippians 2, starting in verse 12, we read, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Okay, let's spend just a few minutes breaking this down. We know that Philippians is authored by Paul, that he's sitting in a prison cell and writing this letter to the church in Philippi. In Philippians 1, we learn that the church here is thriving, that the body is really faithful, even though Roman political nationalism was rampant in that area. The church was proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not, which was a big deal. Outwardly mentioning that you serve a different Lord than Caesar was treason, and you could easily wind up in prison or dead. They faced persecution and resistance, yet held fast to the radical teachings of the way of Jesus. Something that struck me this week was remembering that this new grassroots church, these faithful men and women, didn't exist in a church like we do today, with pastors and mentors, with 30 years of experience under their belts, passing along their wisdom, a lot like what Josh was saying. They are the ones fumbling through, paving the way for the very first time, what it means to truly follow Jesus. In verse 12, we see again Paul commending the church in Philippi for their obedience and service to the church. As one of the founders of the church in Philippi, Paul is acknowledging that even though he's not around, they are still doing the hard and honest work of wholeheartedly following Jesus. Next, Paul uses language that maybe makes some of us squirm. Continue to work out your salvation. Now, let me be clear. Paul is not saying in order for us to have salvation, we have to work for it. The word is work out, not work for. Plus, we've already established he's speaking to faithful believers. We also know if you've been following Jesus for one minute or 75 years, that becoming like Jesus takes constant intentionality. In this moment right now, if Jesus is the one we are surrendered to, we are free. We are cleansed. We are saved. And it takes time and determination to learn to be motivated by and listen to the Spirit in our daily lives, to quiet the voice of the false self. Much akin to working out the body, it takes effort to strengthen muscles, discipline to carve out time to exercise and work muscles that aren't naturally used in the day-to-day -day of our lives. Our walk with Jesus takes effort and time and determination to have a kingdom mindset and follow the narrow and radical way of our king. 
Paul, in writing this, is reminding the church that to live the fulfilled life that Jesus offers takes effort. To mature in the ways that Jesus matured is intentional. No matter how long we've known about him, if we are not actively talking to him or being with him, we cannot be like him. We must consciously abide in his freely extended grace. When asked what is the greatest commandment, Jesus himself says in the book of Mark, chapter 12, verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Loving God takes all the parts of us, not just our mind or our soul that we often think about. So it's working out our salvation, training our whole beings to be bent towards the true self, the way of Jesus as beloveds, not working for our salvation. Jesus did that work. Moving on to fear and trembling. As I thank you for the laughs. As I prepared for this message, I got a sense there would be people present who kind of shudder at that term. Your interpretation of fear and trembling is viewed as the angry God who sits with lightning in his fists waiting to smite you. This is not a new concept at Van City, so I want you to hear me. Our God is just and mighty and powerful, yes, and has overwhelming love for his beloved children. He is tender and mighty. The truth is, as we work out our salvation, spiritual maturity, or what we call practices, we should do it with holy reverence, in awe of God's awesome and terrifying power. It's like when Moses meets Yahweh in the burning bush, he removes his sandals because he is standing on holy ground. Or how the Spirit of God was represented by fire at night for the wandering Israelites. Is uncontained fire scary? Do I have very valid fears around it? Absolutely. Is it good, helpful, and warm? Also, yes. It's almost like Paul is saying, great job, guys. Keep going. Don't give up on forging the way of the kingdom. And also, don't forget who you are serving. Don't turn this into selfish ambition or complacency. God is a big deal, and your motivation to work through discipleship with reverence is vital for the followers and churches to come in your footsteps. You hanging in there? You still with me? Great. Okay, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, in that last line, verse 13, his good purpose can be translated two different ways. First, his good purpose, which is what we read in the NIV, or some scholars interpret the text to end with your good pleasure. So, to will and to act according to your good pleasures. So, which is it? His good purpose or our good pleasure? It's both. Because his good purpose is ultimately our good pleasure. What God defines as good, meaningful, or purposeful is what our souls deeply long for, true gratification. Not finding joy in things that will break or disintegrate over time, because let's be honest here, many of us, myself included, seek joy that disappears as quickly as we can access it. His good purpose is our good pleasure. 
Now to go back to the front half of verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act. What I understand this to mean is that once our good pleasure is defined by his good purpose, his definition of good, we are set apart. Our actions change. What we decide to do with our time, our finances, our relationships should all reflect God who is at work in us. Meaning, if we claim that Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not, then the purpose of our lives is to acknowledge and work through the layers of the false self. So that as we live out our God-given gifts, roles, and uniqueness, we understand our motivations are birthed from his good purpose or our true selves as beloved sons and daughters. But we cannot do that on our own. This verse is reminding us that it is God who is working in us first, and then the change happens. As we surrender to him and his goodness, our identity and therefore our entire beings shift. Our lives should mimic the knowledge that we are beloveds. So what does all of this mean for us today? We are not establishing the brand new church. We are not a grassroots movement anymore. How can we work out our salvation to see God working in us all for his good pleasure? As we see throughout scripture, over and over, we fail as humans. We've talked about that a lot over the series, but I think it's important to remember that we are fractured, broken, partially enslaved as we experience the chaos and brokenness of this world while we await for our true home. Similar to the captive elephants I mentioned earlier, if we are unable to clearly identify why we are stuck or how our past contributes to our current pain, then we will remain stuck. Beyond that, if we know why we're stuck, but then are unwilling to walk towards freedom, then we will remain where we are, tied to a post until we decide to do something different. Acknowledging our past traumas is a really good start, but that's not necessarily dealing with it. Healing from childhood, adolescence, or our adult years takes time, determination, and a willingness to lay down our pride and surrender to the way of Jesus. We cannot change what has happened to us, but we can learn to be loved through it. It is really difficult to be shaped by God for his good purpose or your good pleasure if you don't understand how your past is currently shaping you today. Or if there's a place in your life where you are actively or even subconsciously keeping the spirit at arm's length. Part of that emotional health and growth comes from acknowledging and then dealing with our past and our pain. We cannot have freedom when we don't even see the ropes tying us to captivity. Shame would love us to think that by keeping our pain or what causes us pain buried deep, that it no longer exists and has no effect on us today. Like a fractured leg that was ignored and has healed wrong, there's a limp but you can walk just fine, and it barely hurts anymore. And the thought of breaking the bone again, surgery, setting it properly, is too much to bear. There are some people who are listening that think, I just don't have time for that. Or maybe 
It's really, I'm too scared. Or what will it cost me? Or where do I even start? And we'll get to the how in just a few minutes. But I wanted to acknowledge that it's not easy. And at the same time, it is so valuable. Beyond valuable even, I believe it's essential. Because when you think about it, our spiritual maturity will not and cannot surpass our emotional maturity. While we do not believe that being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing the things he does is some sort of formula with a graduation date, because, spoiler alert, we will never fully arrive this side of the resurrection. But we do have a chance to work out what it means to be fully loved and known by Jesus. What we do believe is that in order to do the things that Jesus did, you have to be with him and become like him, filled with the fullness God offers. Not working through the pain of our past or even acknowledging it, we are giving our past more power over our future than we could ever know. The limp will forever remain. No amount of time will heal but remains hidden. As many of you know, Dave and I struggled for a few years to start a family. I had back-to-back miscarriages eight months apart. It was devastating. It wrecked me and broke me in places I didn't know needed to be healed. After our miscarriages, I was diagnosed with an incredibly rare uterine malformation. I had a massive team of doctors on my case, partly because they were excited to poke and prod at my unheard of malformation, and second, because what I had was life-threatening and they needed a solution fast. The day of my procedure to correct the malformation, the doctors went in to fix something they couldn't find. What was on my MRI and ultrasounds was miraculously gone, healed fully and completely, no sign of any abnormality ever existing. Half a year later, we got pregnant with Jet, our little five-year-old, almost five-year-old. Many of you know the story of the intricate and prophetic prayer the Spirit gave Levi over my pregnancy, and it was really beautiful and something I held on to tightly. But honestly, my pregnancy with Jet was awful. Not because of symptoms or sickness, but because my emotional and mental health was wrecked with anxiety. Months of waiting for the bad news, waiting for Jet to stop moving, waiting for the doctors to say again, I am sorry there's no heartbeat. I am sorry you are experiencing the worst case scenario again. The fear and trauma of living in the margin of bad medical news had become an unrealized identity, and it was all-consuming. The moment Jet was born, the first thing I uttered was, is he alive? A hard-earned moment of celebration and love became a moment of panic and fear. After all of that, bringing home a helpless infant the first time around is pretty dang difficult in and of itself. But difficulty is provoked when you subconsciously believe with certainty that at any moment he will pass away, that the shoe will drop, that like all good things, this will be gone too. In my last month of pregnancy with Jet, I was at a beach trip with the women of Van City. It was our first year as a church, and we spent the weekend laughing, 
eating our weight in Haichu candy, and getting to know one another better. We had a bonfire, and I can't exactly remember the question that Katie posed, but it was something along the lines of, where in your life are you withholding trust in Jesus? And it was that moment where I realized I had gotten so good at praising God when things were hard and painful that I had forgotten how to trust him and praise him when things were good and sweet and as they should be. It was a process for me to honestly worship God through my pain. And what I didn't realize was by not doing the work to heal my emotional pain, I was stuck in my spiritual walk too. I had acknowledged my trauma, but I didn't process any of it with a counselor. I intellectually, I knew I had miscarriages, that Jet was a different person and a different experience. He was alive and breathing in my actual arms. But my mind and my body and my trauma was telling me devastating pain is imminent. Brace yourself. There was what felt like this giant cloud looming over me, waiting for God to be like, okay, are you going to worship me through this next hard thing? It's coming, which was my weary mind playing tricks on me. Without realizing it, I was jeopardizing my holistic love for Jesus like I just read about in Mark the heart, soul, mind, and strength, because my mind was still traumatized. So deep in my subconscious, I was convinced that all that was ahead of me was more pain. If our minds are tied to people and places where there's trauma and pain, then that space is taken up by the brokenness of this world. We all have it, myself included. Some of us feel like entire parts of us are gone, missing forever. For others, it may look more like a splinter in your foot, small but annoying. To understand the depth, the width, the height of God's love for his beloveds, we need to allow his endless love to wash over and bring healing to those dark and painful places. For some people, that inner work feels impossible. It almost swallowed you whole experiencing it. Why on earth would you open it up again? In his book, Abba's Child, Brennan Manning says this, The decision to come out of hiding is our initiation right into the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. It brings its own reward. We stand in truth that sets us free and live out the reality that makes us whole. So let's work through together what dealing with our past can actually look like. For some, that means confession, speaking it out for the first time. For others, it looks like therapy. For others, having that hard conversation you've been putting off or offering forgiveness to someone you think doesn't deserve it. Working through repentance or dragging a secret out from the depths and the darkness and bringing it into the light. Not so he can hurt us, but so he can heal us. If we look back at the foundational verses for the series that we are in, Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide 
and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. As a good father who deeply cares for his beloved, he offers avenues for healing. He does not expect us to figure it out alone, but we have to be willing to put in the work. The first step is acknowledging our pain or trauma and then inviting the Holy Spirit into those places. It's my guess there are people listening tonight who have something come to mind that they have stuffed down so deep that you believe if you push it down just a little bit farther, it will never resurface. Either internally denying it or convincing others that there are no longer lingering effects to your past pain is actually giving way to the false self. And one of the trickiest parts about all of this is that for others, this hiding pain is subconscious. The pain is so deep and so ingrained into you that maybe you're not sure who you are without it, or you don't even realize it's there to begin with. The thing about serving a mighty and tender God is that he knows. He already knows your pain. All of the choices you've made or other people's choices that have deeply wounded you, and hear me, he loves all of you. In this moment right now, he already knows and is still forever in pursuit of all of you. Being able to even just think about your pain allows the Holy Spirit opportunity to ask him to invade that space, to start the work of surrendering your experience at the foot of the cross. It gives you a chance to ask Spirit, what do you want to say about this? And remember, beloveds, you will be met with a voice that is comforting, strengthening, and encouraging. For those of us who may be feeling convicted, I want to remind you that nothing in our past is beyond the love and suffering of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. To think and then live as if we are too far gone or that we are too much is, in my opinion, an act of rebellion and pride. It seems like you're denying God's words and truth that through the cross and resurrection, we are redeemed. If you believe that to be true, then you are not too much, and you are enough as you are. Brennan Manning also says this, Christians who remain in hiding continue to live the lie. We deny the reality of our sin. In a futile attempt to erase our past, we deprive the community of our healing gift. If we conceal our wounds out of fear and shame, our inner darkness can neither be illuminated nor become light for others. We cling to our bad feelings and beat ourselves with the past when what we should do is let it go. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, guilt is an idol, but when we dare to live as forgiven men and women, we join the wounded healers and draw closer to Jesus. When we hold on to our past failures, pain, or trauma without allowing the Spirit to come breathe life into those places, it seems as though we are more comfortable hiding from God instead of inviting in the intimacy and fullness that His love offers, disallowing Him to see all of us. 
Lord, I trust you with these parts of my life, but this is mine. Because when you can't trust the darkest parts of your story with the one person who can bring light into it, it will remain as only a shadow of its full potential. When it comes to missing out on the fullness of God's love in this context, an analogy came to mind. Let's say you marry someone. You promise to be united and faithful to that person for the rest of your life. But trust has been broken in a significant way. They confess it. You choose to stay together, even through the pain. But what if you guys never, ever talked about that pain? Are you still united together? Are you experiencing a form of true love and intimacy? I believe so. But are you enjoying the fullness of love and intimacy that is possible in that marriage? I'm not so sure about that one. Because there's a huge pain point that is not being addressed. However, when the married couple put in the work it takes to restore their covenant and trust, the intimacy and love they experience is an incredible picture of what healing can look like. When the effort, determination, and work is put in, they enjoy a fuller, deeper love. For clarity, I want to express God's love covers all of our brokenness. It is not when you acknowledge his pain, then his love is there. We believe and know to be true that his love is always there. It's our choice to let him into those dark places to then experience his healing love. I don't know about you guys, but the whole false self practice brought up a lot of new things for me. I am currently, excuse me, I am currently learning and working through my need for approval to seem intelligent and capable. But when I started to dig deeper and ask why I feel the need to be seen like that, I was met with a very uncomfortable realization, insecurity. If I come off as incredibly confident and secure in what I'm saying, proud of my actions, then maybe people won't see the little girl inside terrified to be seen as stupid. So this past Monday in counseling, we started the process of digging it up. Why do I, deep down, believe that lie? That I am incapable or helpless or unintelligent? I have some ideas and surprise. I think they come from past hurt, but nothing solid enough to share quite yet. But what I do know is based on past experience, this road, though rocky and twisty, ends with more peace. Who I am becomes even more reflective of my identity as God's beloved. I am in it with you. I have done some work, but we all have wounds that could benefit from the healing that Jesus offers. So acknowledging our pain and then bringing in the spirit, what's next? In Ephesians verse 18, it then says, together with God's holy people. Here the church, and in community. Now, I have an understanding that some of the pain that people in this room are avoiding probably has to do with the church or an experience you had at church. First, thanks for being here and for listening. Please don't check out over the next few minutes. There's a reason our church meets on Sundays and during the week in communities 
because there's something really powerful that happens when imperfect people worship together, read the scriptures together, and pray over each other in a gathering. And it's an unrealistic expectation that the leaders of Van City can have an intimate relationship with every person here. I wish. I really do. We are available and we love meeting with you. But there's also something really beautiful that happens when you put in the work and commit to your community to show up, to know them, and in turn, be fully known by other people. I have been eating dinner every week with the same people for five plus years. It takes work, and sometimes, honestly, it feels easier to stay home. But these are my friends, and they became, for me, like family. They have walked me through some of the hardest things I've faced in my life. They've seen me through debilitating anxiety through my pregnancy with Jet, through postpartum psychosis, moments where I didn't know who I was or how to function, through the celebration of new jobs, new children, breakthroughs, and all of the junk, they are there. They did not and do not replace my counselor, but they listened to the Holy Spirit on my behalf. A friend in my community who was very new to listening prayer read Proverbs 31 over me in an act of obedience to the Spirit one night. It was a time in my life that was consumed with a postpartum mood disorder. I was convinced that I was a failure of a mom and a wife. I did not want to be alive, yet I had this incredible family who meant everything to me, and I didn't want to leave them either. I felt guilty, like I was missing out on the joy of motherhood that I had waited so long to experience. But when she read those words over me on an unsuspecting Tuesday night in a quiet little neighborhood in Vancouver, Washington, it awoke something deep in my being. By the Spirit, through my friend, God gently reminded me that my identity is in Him and not the pain I was experiencing. All because I simply showed up and she showed up, and she was willing to listen on my behalf, and we were both brave enough to share. Again, Manning says this, the wounded healer implies that grace and healing are communicated through the vulnerability of men and women who have been fractured and heartbroken by life. In love's service, only wounded soldiers can serve. When we are vulnerable, and we open up our past to people that we are in deep relationship with. It gives God an opportunity to move and heal through the church family. Sharing verbally with people, vulnerably and courageously, pulls the shame out of the pain. The burden and weight have a chance to be shared with people who are randomly put together but work hard to be knit together. And they carry it with me. They remind me this is who you were, or this is where you come from, or this is what you used to believe, but who you are now is a beloved, cherished daughter of the Most High Creator God. They remind me of the truth when all I can see in myself is the pain. If you have yet to get involved in a Van City community, here is a very shameless plug. <laughs> next, <laughs> listening next Sunday, from 2.30 to 4 is our basics class, which is the first step into getting into a Van City community, and it's a really great step towards growing in your discipleship to Jesus. 
Then, together, on Sundays and in communities, we work out together how wide, how deep, how far is the love of God, the love that covers us while we were in our mother's wombs and will continue to cover us until we see King Jesus restore all things. Lastly, and just as importantly, in my opinion, is therapy. Side note, if you need a counselor, any of the leaders here can provide you with a list of recommended counselors. In the spring of 2019, I was diagnosed with PTSD. From the hard things I had mentioned earlier and a ton of really complicated other experiences, just knowing I had PTSD in and of itself was actually really healing for me. But I couldn't stop there. Nothing would actually change without help. I had to press through and work towards healing my brain and my body. My spirit, mind, and body was running away from vulnerability, from love, and sometimes even from reality. Through intense trauma therapy, counseling, showing up weekly, digging up, pressing in, doing the working out of my salvation, I was able to create space in my being to live out my calling which is simply a beloved daughter of King Jesus. I know we've been saying that word a lot through this series, but guys, my, my very first tattoo was beloved with, with a capital B. Because when I was 18, it was my renaming, my identity shifting from what my past could dictate me to believe to believing what God could do through me if I allowed space for his voice and guidance and truth over my life. If the narrative we grew up with is anything other than the truth of God's all-encompassing, sacrificial, and redemptive love, then there's space for us to work through things from our past. For me, it was trusting God with my pain, trusting that he wanted to heal my heart, I was at war with my desire to withhold these tender and wounded parts out of fear or pride or control. And it took me a long time to realize that those wounded parts are actually the pieces of me that God's going to use to glorify him. As I started to work through these dark places, starting from the age of 10 and up, I realized that through every stage, every tear, Every minute of my agony, Jesus was present. And when that realization finally made a head-to-heart connection, I stopped feeling alone in my trauma. I saw his loving arms not only with me, but over me in every moment. I love what is written in Psalms 56, verse 8. In the NLT translation, it says, You keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. When we press into the pain of our past, we can see his presence has never left us. When who we are can then flow out of his love for us, we can come to the conclusion that working through our past is a good thing. And like I mentioned earlier, it's not to hurt us, but to heal us. Then the fullness of his love has the opportunity to move beyond head knowledge and move into our identity. We then have space 
to experience the fullness of his unending love for us. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to Van City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Vancity financially at vancity.church/give.